I, I have to admit, I am, um, I'm pretty excited uh, that we are still in our series called Manifest. Um, you know, in the series, we've had this goal, and quite simply, we have been trying to reflect on how profound the arrival of Jesus Christ is, right? That God became flesh and he dwelt among us. And this is one of those poignant moments where we're reminded that even if everyone around us can't fathom what we're going through, can't fathom our sorrows, can't connect with our experiences, we love a God who can. We love a God who does understand. Scripture tells us that he he emptied himself, taking the very nature of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and then humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He gets it, right? We, we serve a God who gets it. He is with us. Out of his great love, he didn't sit back and wait for us to pursue him. His love for us compelled him to live the gospel among us, to take action, to initiate, to pursue, to become one of us, to be with us, to teach us. And in a world where there's so much loneliness and there's so much sorrow, this is such a great comfort, isn't it? And in the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about this, not just that he is with us, but he is for us. He is not passive, right? He sacrificed for us in so many ways, ultimately dying on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. He is our rescuer. He is our defender. He is our advocate. And then last week, Aziz shared with us the reality that Jesus is still alive, right? And he has given us his Holy Spirit to guide us, to comfort us, to grow us up. Jesus is living through us, working in us, will never leave us. I don't know about you, but I, I heard those words and they were so exciting to me. And, and as I thought about this series, I thought, wow, really, the arrival of Jesus, it, he profoundly answers the deepest questions of our life, doesn't he? The deepest questions of our heart. Am I alone? Am I okay? Can I be fixed? Can my brokenness be taken care of? And this morning, we want to finish up this series by addressing one last question that is on our hearts. One so fitting to ask at the beginning of a new year, right? At the beginning of a new decade, what am I here for? What's next? God's with me. He's for me. He's working in me. Now what? In the book of Acts, we see a moment when the disciples are wrestling with this very question. Jesus has died at this point, and he has risen from the dead, and he has started to appear to them, giving them proof that he's alive. In fact, it says that he is with them now in Jerusalem, and for 40 days, he is speaking to them about the kingdom of God. This must have been an amazing time, right? They didn't know what to do. They just knew, okay, he was dead, and now he's back, and now he's teaching us. I have no idea what's about to happen, but this is going to be cool. And in verse 6 of chapter 1, they ask him, so when they had come together, the disciples, they asked him, Lord, will you not at this time restore the kingdom of, to Israel? They're like, okay, let's, let's get the show on the road, make everything right. And they still had this idea that he was, he was going to overthrow Rome and, and put Israel back in its place, and that was the end result. And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses 
in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Which is a pretty epic moment, right? He's like, all right, this is, you'll be my witnesses. And now they must have thought it was some like trick. They must have been a little freaked out. But these are the final words he tells them before he ascends And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So they're they're completely flabbergasted. They're looking up in the sky like, is he coming back? I think, I don't see him anymore. And two guys show up and are like, move along. I think he told you what was going to happen. He'll be back. And there's this moment where we see the reality that that our personal reconciliation to God is not the end point. The story continues, right? There was this moment where they, they realized this profound truth about Jesus, and then they were invited into the story that was continuing. Guess what? You're gonna go be my witnesses. He has a work for us to carry on. He has a work that he is going to continue through us. He is giving us his spirit, arming us with power, and then he says, you will be my witnesses. The Greek word here, martus, it is a key word in this whole book of Acts. It's used, I think, what, 29 times. And it, it literally just means to be like a legal witness, historic, historical witness, one who testifies to the truth of something, right? I affirm, I attest, I demonstrate that this is true. That's what he's entrusted us to do. We are witnesses to the realness of Jesus Christ, to the truthfulness of Jesus Christ, to the good news of Jesus Christ. We are the ones, anyone who is a follower of him, has now been commissioned to be a witness for him. How do we do this? What does that mean for us? Well, I think the most obvious way is our words bear witness, right? In the first century, nobody knew who Jesus was. Most people had no idea who he was and what he was about, so the disciples told everyone. They spread the good news. And you may think, okay, that's way back then, that's far off. You know what we believe as a church? We believe that even though the name of Jesus is, is known and is used sometimes as a swear word by many in our culture, there, is, there are countless, countless people who have no idea who he really is. No idea what he was really about. They, they have a caricature of him that they think, and maybe they've dismissed, but they have never encountered the truth of the gospel, the good news. And here in 2020, we unashamedly want to continue to proclaim, speak about Jesus. Speak about Jesus to this campus and this city and this world. And that's one way that we are witnesses. But it's even more than that. There's other images in the New Testament about who we are as followers of Jesus. In in 2 Corinthians, we're described as ambassadors of Christ, that we represent him. In Ephesians, we're told, we're commanded to be imitators of him. 
Over and over again in the New Testament, we're told to follow in his footsteps. What does this mean? It means that our words will bear witness, but our lives will bear witness as well. It's all of us. Everything we're about, everything we do, the life that we live is representing Jesus. We're bearing witness. Through the power of the Spirit, we are going to represent Jesus in this world. That's what the New Testament puts forth about us. It doesn't just end with what Jesus has done for us. He has privileged us to be a part of what he's going to be doing in the rest of this world. And listen, guys, this isn't a new thing. In this moment, we've come full circle from Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, in the story of creation, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is the original purpose of humanity. We see that at the very beginning, we're made in God's image to spread his dominion on the earth, his dominion, his reign, his rule, where his kingdom is lived out. And in this moment, what we see is that in Christ, we are recreated. We are re-imaged to become like Jesus and again, spread his kingdom throughout the earth. So this isn't even a new thing. Man has always had a purpose, right? Which you've sensed, you've always sensed. As you've grown up in the world, you've always sensed, okay, there's some reason that I'm here. Or at least you've wanted to believe that. You've had a sense that that might be true. And it's because it is. And Jesus is saying, look, this is what your purpose is. So how are we going to do that? I figure it's the beginning of the year, so let's dream a little bit. Let's as a church just dream. It's 2020, a new year, a new decade. God has transformed your life, rescued you, given you his spirit. He's changing you. So my question for us to ponder is this. How are we going to be witnesses for Jesus. Just think about that for a second. You know, our theme for this year is, that, is to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to the Lord. This is such a great question to pray about and listen for an answer. How are we going to be witnesses for Jesus? I don't know about you guys, but when I dream of this question, I tend to be drawn to very dramatic things, like I want to see supernatural events, and I want to see crowds, and I want to see huge revival. And, and maybe that's just my personality. Maybe that's part of, it's just our culture, right? We live in a culture, an era where we worship the big things, the grand things. I, I found a, saw a picture that popped up on my Facebook feed recently. It's an old picture. This is my daughter. Megan, I don't even know how old she is there, but she insisted on getting the, the, the half-gallon mega jug for her pop. And I've always loved that picture because it kind of encapsulates America, right? <laughs> if a 12-ounce soda is good, then a half-gallon soda, larger than the size of your skull, is even better, right? 
This is what we really want. We worship things that are grand, and we worship the new, right? I have an iPhone 8. Yeah, and so you're like, whoa, that's 18 generations old. I don't know how many it is really, but every couple months, there's something new, and we have to have it. We worship the famous, right? We want clicks. We want likes. We want views, We get significance from things that are famous, and whatever happens in our lives, it needs to happen fast, doesn't it? I just recently learned about Amazon Prime Now. I thought Amazon Prime was awesome, but now there's now. Like, you click, and within two hours, somebody brings whatever it was to your door. Isn't that amazing? Do you guys use this? I don't know anyone who actually uses it, but the fact that it exists is profound to me. This is our culture. We want great stuff, and we have to have it now. It can't be tomorrow. It needs to be now. It needs to be before this show is over. Before I'm done binge-watching this show, it needs to be at my doorstep. This is the culture we live in. And we'd like to think, oh, no, no, not us. We're so mature. We don't. But this is what we've been taught. This is what we've been trained to believe the world is like. This is how we're wired, and it is inevitable that we take that into our spiritual life, isn't it? It's inevitable that when we think about influencing the world or we think about the deeper things of God, we, we want big, we want fast, we want amazing. The pastoral team is uh, reading a book. It's called The Imperfect Pastor. It just seemed fitting for us. And... Uh, and the author describes this, his, his early view of ministry success, and he, he says this, it was becoming quite clear to me that if I was to prove successful in ministry, I needed to do something great, and I needed to find something great in terms of how large, famous, and fast I could accomplish it. And I thought, oh, that's so true of us, isn't it? When we think about this, this mission to be witnesses, we're drawn to thinking big, And let me say, there is nothing wrong with praying for miracles and praying for revival and praying for grand things to happen that glorify God. That's part of our story, right? We see that in the book of Acts. We see that in the history of the church. But what I would like to put forth to you guys this morning is that the pattern that we see in the church is far more simple. That when the church is its healthiest, it's a grassroots movement. The gospel spreads like a virus. What do I mean by that? Someone encounters Jesus, they are changed, and then they go infect the people around them. Right? It's cold season, so all the parents are like, yep, that's pretty much how it works. They come home, and then we're all infected. In the book of Acts, we see this idea of whole households coming to Christ. The Greek word is oikos. Why? Because individuals would encounter Jesus, then they'd go home. And they'd interact with their families or their, their social circles, their servants, their households. And that's who they would go tell about Jesus. That's who saw the changed life that Jesus was bringing about. And so the gospel, the good news of Jesus, would spread, and it would spread life to life, to life, to life. And if we think about it, it makes sense, right? If we think about the life and the words of Jesus, it makes sense. How many commands in the New Testament say, hey, go out there and perform amazing miracles. Go out there and attract crowds. Go out there and fill stadiums. That's how you're going to be witnesses. 
There's examples of those things. They don't seem to be the norm. How many verses do you know that say love and forgive and serve? In the New Testament, there are over 60 verses that pertain to showing love to one another. And there's probably more than that. I got tired of counting them, so I stopped at 60. I thought I'll just say over 60. At one point, Jesus even says this explicitly. There's, there's a way that people are going to know that you're my disciples. You guys know what that is? It's love for one another. It's your love for one another. Think about the stories that Jesus tells. Think about the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? The one who stuck out is the one who helped those in need. Think of the parable of the unmerciful servant. The one who stuck out is the one who forgave the person in need. Think of the parable of the sheep and the goats. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Think of the example Jesus himself set. Most of the encounters we see in the Gospels involve him seeing, seeing those who are unseen in his culture and drawing near to them. Women, the poor, outcasts those who are being racially discriminated against, oppressors. This is the fodder of the New Testament. And why am I sharing that with you? What am I getting at? It's simply this. I believe our primary call is to live as Christ's witnesses in the ordinary, I, dare I even say mundane, spaces of our lives. Our primary call as men and women who are followers of Jesus, is to live as Christ's witnesses in the ordinary spaces of our lives, in our oikos, in our families, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our classes, at our gym, at our grocery store. It's not as glamorous as, it, as you may think. And when you hear that, you may think, oh, gee, that's a bummer. That sounds kind of boring. And it sounds really, really slow. This is definitely not Amazon Prime now sort of ministry. And again, let me say, we can pray for the grand stuff. But you know what? At the same time, let's get excited that the, the role of witness, the role of ambassador, it's not just for the gifted people, right? It's not for those select few that are super talkative, or super persuasive, or super charismatic. It's for the rest of us as well. And we can get excited about the reality that our lives are now filled with sacred spaces where God wants to work through us to reveal his kingdom. That your days are filled with those things. What you used to consider as ordinary and mundane are opportunities for God to work through your life in powerful ways. i was been thinking about this in my life. I thought about this week when my daughter, my 12-year-old daughter, shared in minute and passionate detail all the latest events of her middle school life. And I consciously chose to listen intently and rather than think, wow, this is kind of boring. I think you told me that story already. I was thinking this is an opportunity to testify to a God who hears her. 
to testify to her, there is a God who says, I hear you. I want to know the details. I'm interested in your life. Or when you go grocery shopping and you take just that slight moment to laugh with the cashier and say thank you, you're testifying about a God who says, I see you. You are not insignificant. You are not an interruption to my day. Right? When my son gets fouled on the basketball court and he chooses not to whine, but instead he honors the referee, treats him with respect, he's testifying about a God who says, I respect you. You're worthy of honor, not my disdain. Right? When you overlook a traffic offense, when you give generously, when you serve that coworker who bugs you, when you open up your home or you share a meal, when you decide to break through some cultural barrier, when you set aside a prejudice, when you sit with a friend in their grief, all of these are sacred, sacred spaces where you are testifying. You are witnesses there's this pastor and author, passed away recently, Eugene Peterson. He wrote a book on following Jesus, and it's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, which is the best title ever. And he writes about this. He says, each act of love and obedience by a Christian is a modest proof, unequivocal for all its imperfection, of the reality of what he attests. Each act of love and obedience by a Christian is a modest proof, unequivocal for all its imperfection of the reality of what he attests. What is he saying there? Every time we see someone, every time we draw near to them, every time we choose to love them, we are declaring the reality of the kingdom of God. That's what we're doing. We're declaring that Jesus is real and that he has saved us. And it is opening the door for us to introduce them to our Savior, introduce them to the hope that we have. It's such a profound commission. You know, over the holidays, uh, we took a long road trip, and uh, we were listening to NPR on our way down to South Carolina, and they had a guest on one of their shows, and it was a guy named uh, Greg Boyle, Father Greg Boyle. I'd never heard of him. He's a Jesuit priest from Los Angeles. And uh, I think I brought a picture of him. So that's him in the middle. And he grew up in L.A., and he had a heart for the poor kids in the city and who were increasingly getting involved in gang life, and he saw them, and he decided, I, okay, I don't relate to these guys at all, but there's something I could do. These kids are made in the image of God. They're being marginalized. I, I want to do something. And he decided to draw near to them one by one. And he decided he's going to help them by helping them get jobs as they came out of prison. Help them rebuild their lives because they were almost unemployable. And he's like, I'm going to fight to see if I can get these guys jobs. And over the years, this ministry grew and it grew and it grew. And now he's like in charge of this whole thing called Homeboy Industries. And there's all these businesses that they've started that they employ ex-GAN members. Folks that, that just out of prison as a way to give them a life, a pathway to something different. And I was fascinated. I was listening to it just because I'd never heard it. And I'm sure as, as if I ever sat down and talked to, to Father Boyle, we would have numerous theological differences, I'm sure. But I was profoundly struck by his love 
for these kids. And then they had callers, and a woman called and said, look, I am a member of a suburban church, and I have no connection to the city, but I'm moved by your story and your work. What, what would you recommend for me? What action should I take? And I thought his answer was, was profound. He said, look, don't, don't come here. And don't try to replicate what we're doing. My recommendation for you would just to be look around and start showing compassion where you are. Because that's what I did. I didn't start out, I didn't set out trying to, to start an industry. I didn't set out to become an expert in gang member rehabilitation. I literally just looked in my neighborhood and tried to live with compassion. And then he told her about this phrase that he's adopted for his life. And the phrase is, now hear this. But not now hear this like I'm about to declare something. He, he said it was now, period, here, period, this, period. And he said, this has been my mantra. I repeat this to myself on a daily basis because it's this simple idea. The simple idea is this. Our world wants to escape, to spend our time preoccupied wishing we were somewhere else, with someone else, doing something else. Longing for something grand or famous to be a part of. But Christ has called us, given us the power to fully engage right here, right now, in this. And I just thought, that, that's it, isn't it? Our oikos, embracing our household, our space, our spheres of influence. And rather than longing to go out and doing something else, I thought, this is so good for me. It's such a wake-up call for me, a call to engagement, a call to attentiveness, a call to be spiritually awake here, now, in my circumstances. I, I just would invite you guys to think for a second. Imagine what God might do in 2020 if just here in this room, we regularly began to ask God, in this moment, in my household, in my oikos, in the ordinary, mundane spaces of my life, would you help me to see? Would you help me to draw near? Would you help me to be a witness? I have no idea what God might do with those prayers, but I think it could be profound. I think it could profoundly affect our campus, profoundly affect our households, our city, our workplaces, our neighborhoods. And so with that in mind, I want to re-invite you to prayerfully consider this question this week. Sometime this week, in, get a little time and ask God, how are we going to be witnesses for Jesus? Most of you in this room have heard Acts 1-8 before. We've probably shared it 400 times. And you've thought about being witnesses and you've thought about, oh, I'm an ambassador. Just take a moment this week and ask God, how can I be a witness for you now and here and in this? And then let's listen to what the Lord says. Through the power of the Spirit, we are called to represent Jesus in this world. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much 
that you have given us a purpose. In a world that is so desiring to be significant, where men and women have a passion and a heart to change the world, you have invited us in to participating in the greatest work this world would ever know. That we might represent you in this world. Lord, I pray that you would open up our eyes. Lord, that you would help us be thankful for, embrace the spaces that we're in, the people that we know, the precious lives that we are coming across each and every day, that you would help us to see those men and women and children as made in your image to draw near to them and to try to love them and introduce them to you. That we might continue the incarnation as we love those around us. Lord, we tell you we love you and we thank you and we pray that you would transform our community this year in Jesus' name, amen.